Hello and welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I am broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you once again for joining me today. If you haven't, click subscribe or follow. Go ahead and do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday morning. You're going to want to check them out. All kinds of great dog training information, animal information. It's all good stuff. Yes, and today's show is no different. We have some wonderful segments lined up. The first segment today is going to be puppies, crating, and housebreaking. All good information right there. We can't talk about puppies enough because there is just an endless amount of information when it comes to this. And of course, crating, housebreaking, guys. Some of the most important aspects of training your new puppy. After that, we're going to have a segment called dog breeding. You'll hear some of my thoughts there, uh, as well as um, some interesting stuff from from one of my listeners in there too. So that was kind of cool. Following that, we'll have our breed of the week, then the listener Q&A. And if you guys have any questions for that listener Q&A, don't forget to keep them coming my way. You can email me questions at speakadogcast.com. Hey, just find me on social media at speakadogcast. You can message me there, comment on a post, whatever you'd like. Your question might get featured on the show. And hey, what's been happening more often than not lately? Hey, your questions are turning into segment ideas. It's awesome. I love it. So, uh, so keep them coming guys. I'm getting questions from literally around the world. I mean, that's just, it's awesome. I love it. Too cool. Too cool. So send them on over my way guys, but let's get going with today's show. Yeah, before we do though, got to give you that trivia question. And today's question is going to be what animal grows the most over its lifespan? Yes, what animal grows the most over its lifespan? I'll give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's podcast, so be sure you stick around. Sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, puppies, crating, and housebreaking. Puppies. Everybody wants them. But not everybody should have them. Am I right? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's the truth, guys. It is. It is. Puppies are awesome. They're so much fun. It's a great blank slate as far as training goes. And you can make, you know, I mean, that's what you hear a lot. That's why people want puppies. They want to make the dog part of their family from the start and get a good fresh start. And that's all good stuff. But guys, only if you're setting your puppy up for success, you know, I think it was last episode, I, I kind of jokingly, not jokingly, uh, <laughs> said that I watch people all the time raise a puppy from from a very young, you know, very young dog, very young puppy, and I watch them raise it and screw that dog up, you know, unfortunately. So just getting a puppy does not ensure that you're going to have this wonderful, perfect dog. The only thing that's going to ensure that is training is behavioral training, exercise, stimulation, structure, boundaries, rules, discipline, affection, treats, food. Okay, those are the things that are going to create a good dog if they're implemented correctly. So having a puppy doesn't guarantee anything. You can go get a rescue dog and implement all those things and create an amazing rescue dog that's two or three years old. That's five or six years old, you know? There's there's no reason you can't do that. So the first thing we have to discuss when we talk about puppies is that a puppy is not for everyone. It's just not. You know, look, if you work a ton and you just don't have the means to get home and let you let your dog out, your dog's going to spend a lot of time in the crate. Maybe that's not the best. Maybe a puppy isn't the best for you then. Maybe you should get a dog that has already been crate trained, has been through it, is a little bit older, and is perfectly happy to be out in the house. Maybe you have the ability to put in a doggy door and your dog can have access to the backyard while you're at work. That's the better setup for somebody who works a lot, not a puppy. Let's talk about, you know, another thing I encounter pretty often, older people. Guys, this isn't a slight to anybody. I'm just, I'm a realist at the end of the day. (laughs) I've seen it a few times recently where, you know, an older couple goes out and gets a a 10 or 12 week old puppy. And it's not just a puppy. It's like a golden retriever or, 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 you know, another high energy breed, essentially doodles. That's the popular one. Right. Um, and they get these dogs that really have high needs, high energy needs, high stimulation needs. And then we tack on puppy on top of that. And it's just, it's not going to work out real well in the end. You know, look, these older couples, older couples that I get as clients to get these dogs, They've forgotten it's been maybe 10, 12, maybe 15 years since they've had a puppy. And unfortunately, guys, yeah, 10 to 15 years can be, it's, it's a long time. And you you get older and maybe you're not as fast as you once were. You just don't, you know, you can't keep an eye on a puppy the way you used to. It's the truth. We're not, we get a little more tired or something. Maybe we're physically not able to walk the dog like we should. 
Guys, these are going to create problems if you're getting a young puppy. There's, there's no training. No amount of training is going to solve something like that. You can't substitute, well, my dog is well-trained, so I don't need to walk him now. I don't need to stimulate him. I don't need to exercise. It's not going to work like that. It's just not. So, uh, you know, again, I just, I just kind of have to point out that a puppy is not for everyone. Now, let's say a puppy is for you. Let's say you've done your research, you've done your thinking, you've thought about it, and a puppy is right for you. Look, my wife and I, Jen, uh, Jen and I, we had, uh, we had, we had, we made that decision, what, just over a little over a year ago. Wow, actually, yeah, no, it's been a, uh, it's been a year since we lost Penny Lane, which is crazy to think about. Um, yeah, like right at a year. Um, and so we got Riker, what, two months after, two or three months after that. So yeah, again, just about a year ago, we got a puppy and we didn't take that decision lightly. We thought through it and we were ready. We were ready to bring a puppy back into our home. And it had been a long time since we had a puppy. So I get it. If you want a puppy and you're ready for that puppy, hey, I'm all about it. I'm not trying to scare you out of it. But at the end of the day, guys, I'm a realist. And you have to be a realist when it comes to your pets because being a realist is going to make you do what's best for yourself and for your dog or potential dog, potential puppy, right? <laughs> okay, so that's the first thing I just kind of wanted to get out of the way is who should and shouldn't have a puppy. But if you're ready for that puppy, then you know what? We have to talk about the two most important aspects of training your puppy, crating and housebreaking, right? Nobody wants a dog peeing and pooping all over their house. So clearly housebreaking is important. But the one that sometimes gets looked over is the crate, yeah. And guys, I, look, I'll just tell you right now, without a doubt, without a doubt, if if I could only tell you two things to give you two pieces, you know, uh, advice on how to do two things with your puppy, it would be the crate and it would be housebreaking because those will get you so far ahead in your training. It will if you do them correctly. Okay. Look, we have to start off by talking about the crate. Okay. Um, I, there are some people who, who turn a nose up at the crate who don't like the crate or, oh, I don't want to put them... Guys, do your research on what a crate is. Don't take my word for it. It's, it replicates a den for them. It's, it can actually be a very comforting thing, but it all depends on how you, just like anything, depends on how you condition it, okay? So the crate can be an amazing thing, guys, because it can help solve uh, issues like separation anxiety. It can help keep your dog safe when you're not there. You can't keep an eye on them. There's practical uses, which we'll, we'll kind of talk about a little bit. And then, of course, there's housebreaking. That goes hand in hand with crating. Crating is one of those things that's going to uh, be a tool in in uh, housebreaking your dog. Okay, So let's just get into it. Let's start talking about the crates, what you need to know about it, and all that good stuff. Let's talk about the type and size of the crate. Plastic versus metal folding crates. You know, look, guys, to each his own on this, really. I, I've used both. I've used the plastic crates. I've used the metal crates. But right now, I mostly use, well, I pretty much exclusively use metal crates. Part of it is a practical reason for myself. I have <laughs> sometimes a lot of dogs in this house that I have to be crating, and sometimes I don't have a lot of dogs, so we have to be able to move these crates easily. And to me, it's just a practicality thing. I need to be able to fold up the crates and stack them away easily. Plastic crate, it's not gonna allow me to do that. But if you're someone out there, you've got one dog, there's nothing wrong with a plastic crate. In fact, some people will swear by them because it's a little more enclosed. You know, it's sort of like if you if you take a uh, a metal crate and you put a blanket over it. It's the same, you know, that there's success in that because uh, again, it creates that separation and makes them feel more enclosed like a little den. So there is something to be said about the plastic crate with that. And then on top of it, guys, because you don't have to put a blanket over the plastic crate, you don't have to risk your puppy potentially biting at that blanket and eating it. If you have a metal crate and you throw a blanket over it, and look, unless you know your puppy's not a chewer and not going to touch it, you are running the risk of your dog reaching through and starting to eat that blanket. And of course, we all know we don't want that. Okay. So plastic versus metal, there's plus pros and cons to both. Uh, really, again, to me, to each his own on that, whatever works better for you. Now, the size of the crate, guys, the size of the crate, it really should be a matter of your dog should be able to stand up in place comfortably without hitting their head, without hitting their back on the top of the crate, stand up comfortably, turn around in place and lie back down. We don't want to give them too much space in the crate because as a lot of us know, the dog will end up peeing and pooping in there in the corner. And then if they don't, you know, if it's big enough that they won't lay in it, then they'll go lie on the other side of the crate and they'll have no problem being a poopy in the crate. Now we got another problem to deal with. Okay, so the crate has to be the right size. That's very important. Plastic versus metal to each his own size, that matters. Oh boy. 
Well, you know, hey, uh, anyway, nope, 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 we're moving on. Uh, <laughs> okay, how about bedding? Should you put bedding in your crate? Yes or no? Look, it goes along with the blanket over the crate. It's the same thing. Is your dog a chewer? Is he going to eat the blanket or bedding? If the answer is yes, then don't put bedding in there. Look, I know some people go, oh, I don't want my dog to be on the plastic. Guys, this is a, this is a training tool. This is not a permanent thing. This is not something we're going to permanently have our dogs in. That's the goal, right? Is to get your dog out of the crate. So guys, putting your dog on the plastic for a couple hours is not going to kill them. I'm just, I'm telling you right now, it's just not. As a matter of fact, sometimes it's a necessity. For example, we have a dog in boot camp right now who she will pee on her bed. If she'll pee on the dog bed in the crate, because of course, guys, the soft bed is going to absorb the pee. And so to her, that's enough of, 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 of an absorption that she thinks she's not lying in the, in the pee. She's not laying in it, right? So sometimes we have to remove the bed in order to get her to stop peeing. Sure enough, we take the bed out. We've had no problems with peeing and pooping in the crate. Isn't that incredible? Now, once she learns to be housebroken more, once she gets a little older and we've worked on that, then we might be able to reintroduce the bed back into there. But food for thought, guys, it's not just about a safety factor of them eating it. It's also can be, it also can be a training thing. And there is nothing wrong with removing bedding temporarily uh, or, or altogether, really. I mean, again, the end goal is to get your dog out of that crate. So I don't see the problem with it. Um, again, guys, it's just a tool. It's just an ends to the, it's just a means to the end rather. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, bedding. Think about that. Now toys, water, food. I hear that a lot too. I don't want to leave my dog in the crate with no water, no food. Guys, you need to, there's no reason food. I'm just, look, we don't have to get into the details of this. I'm just going to tell you, you don't need to leave food and water in your crate for your dog. Unless you're gone a really long time, there's just no need for it. And if you're gone that long, you shouldn't be. <laughs> you shouldn't be with your puppy. You need to find a dog walker, a neighbor, a friend, a family member. Somebody needs to come over and let that dog out, okay? <laughs> uh, because, and again, we're not going to get into this today, but you need to be properly uh, setting your dog up for success and making sure they have enough water before they go in the crate, making sure they're getting enough water, they can pee, they're good. And that way, once they go in their crate, they don't need that water because they've already had plenty, okay? So we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, but food, same thing. They don't need food lying around. We're not going to get into details of food today and leaving food lying around. But if you've listened to my podcast, you know you shouldn't leave food just lying around, okay? So no, I don't believe in leaving food in a crate. If you want to use treats to reinforce a puppy in the crate, hey, absolutely. I'm all for that. But not leaving a bowl of food in there. Toys. Okay, so toys, look, you, you guys, just warning, you've got to be careful and you have to know your puppy's chewing habits. So if you have a brand new young puppy, I would really recommend being mindful and being careful about what toys you leave in there. I would watch your puppy play with those, play with a toy for a long time before I'm going to trust them in the crate. Because if they eat it when you're not there, when they're unmonitored in the crate, right, you're in trouble. That's a problem. Okay, so we don't want our puppies eating the toys. So leaving them in the crate, you just need to know. You need to know which toys you can leave in there, which ones you can't. Kong toys are great for this, guys, especially young puppies, puppies that aren't big enough to destroy. Hey, some dogs can destroy Kongs. They're not completely indestructible, but they're pretty darn good. Um, and especially for puppies, they're a phenomenal toy because as, as you know, anybody out there knows, you can fill a Kong toy with peanut butter, with, with cheese, whatever, um, to make sure... Uh, your dog stays distracted and stimulated, right? So I don't have a problem with like a Kong toy for a puppy, something like that. But again, to me, it's more you need to know your individual dog. You need to know their chewing habits. And you as the owner need to be aware of what's safe and what's not. Because it's really not just a, a one-size-fits-all kind of rule here, you know? Um, where do we put the crate? Location of the crate in your house? Look, I, I try to crate puppies, you know, I try to crate. I mean, when I bring my try to crate, like, like I'm preventing myself, <laughs> I crate puppies and I crate dogs in the bedroom with me. I have no problem bringing a puppy into the bedroom. As a matter of fact, I prefer it uh, because then I don't have to get up and walk across the house if I'm training a puppy to stop whining in the middle of the night and I need to deal with it. I don't have to get up and walk across the house, you know, like I, there's that. Uh, there's also the fact that I... You know, look, I prefer to do things as a pack. These are pack animals. They want to be with their pack. And I find it helps to let them be in the bedroom with you. We're still going to have the separation. You're going to be in your crate. You're going to give me my space. I'm going to give you your space. Sort of a little, little give and take there, right? And that way the puppy feels more comfortable. They're with their pack, but we still can create that healthy separation. And that can help alleviate some separation anxiety issues, guys. At the same time, 
Some people prefer to put the crate in the family room, living room, even big laundry room. They have a nice big laundry room. They prefer to put it in there because then they can put the puppy in, you know, maybe before they're going to bed, shut the door. Puppy can be asleep for the night. All good. I don't have a problem with that. I really don't. Uh, it can work well, but I do find that sometimes when you when you do create a dog in a different part of the house and you go to bed in your bedroom, they maybe don't like that because they want to be with their pack. So my personal preference is the bedroom, but you can gain success either way. Okay. Now, how long can a puppy stay in the crate? When they're young guys, it really shouldn't be very long, you know, and I'm, I'm talking like eight to 12 weeks when we're, when you're just able to get your dog, eight weeks is about the youngest, you know, that's the youngest you're allowed to really have a dog. Then the youngest you should have a dog taking it from its mom, uh, eight to 12 weeks. And even sometimes a little older, depending on the size and breed. And that's more the point. It depends is the answer. How long can they be created? You need to know your dog's size, bladder, all that good stuff. Obviously, guys, a, a 10-week-old Chihuahua, they're not going to have the, the physical capabilities to hold their bladder yet. So they're going to need to be taken out more often. And yes, in that 8 to 12-week range, sometimes a little longer, but usually right about 12 weeks is where I like to cut that off. Uh, that's where we're, we're making the puppy sleep through the night. We're not getting up in the middle of the night to take them out anymore. And even more so, I prefer to take the dog out in the middle of the night, guys, note this one, when they're not whining, okay? Maybe I know the first night they whined at 3 a.m. and they needed to go out, so I'm going to wake up at 2.15 and take them out before they whine. Do you see what I'm doing there? I'm not reinforcing the whining. If my puppy whines in the crate, I really want to do everything in my power to not let them out. Please take note of that, guys. I can't stress it enough. If your puppy whines in the crate, you do not want to immediately let them out, okay? If they're really young and you know they need to go, that's one thing, but you want to try to start heading that off. If you can recognize that pattern, try to start getting ahead of it so that way you're just taking them out and they're not whining, okay? Um, so again, how long... You're going to start with that four to six hour range at absolute max when they're really, really little. And even then it can maybe even depends. You got a really, really tiny teacup dog at eight weeks old. Yeah, you might be a little more often. You might have a few sleepless nights <laughs> to start with, guys. Um, but you need to start extending it. OK, now, if I have a yellow lab who is 12 weeks old, he should be able to hold it through the night for eight hours without a problem, guys. You heard me correctly. 12 weeks. Yeah. Most of the time. Now, again, there are the anomalies. There are some dogs who every dog is going to be a little bit different, but you can sort of start going for that rule of thumb. Once you start hitting 12 weeks, and especially once you get to larger breeds, they have the ability to hold it. I've had people telling me, oh, we still take them out three. They still have to take them out at 3 a.m. And the dog is like 16, 17, 18 weeks old. And I'm going, oh, that dog's working you, man. Well, he still whines. We have to take... No, no, you don't. <laughs> Tell him no. Oh, my goodness. That's another segment. Go back and listen to um, why you should tell your dog. No, this is one reason why. Um, <laughs> all right. So how long can they crate? It really depends. But once you start hitting that roughly 12 to 16 weeks, especially right at 12 for the larger dogs, uh, but 12 to 16 weeks, guys, that's where they should be able to hold it throughout the night without a problem. No issues. And then anything past 16 weeks, even for a small dog, you would be very surprised how long your dog is able to hold it. Okay, uh, let's keep going. Crate as punishment. Should you use a crate as punishment? I really prefer not to, guys. I just, I really do. Now, that's not to say you can't put your dog in the crate for five, 10 minutes because you've got to go do something across the house. You know, you can't keep an eye on puppy. No problem. Put the dog in the crate, put him in there, give him a treat, tell him good boy, be done, walk away. You're not using it as punishment, but you are using it as containment, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so another little note as we're talking about this, crate randomly when you're home. Don't just crate your dog when you go to sleep. Don't just crate your dog when you leave. Put them in the crate for 20 minutes when you're home, when you're cooking dinner maybe, right? Uh, nothing wrong with that. Walk in and out of the room and pretend like he's in the, you know, he's in the crate, he's in his space, you can just walk out and do your thing, in and out. And that's the point. You get your dog used to it, doesn't matter. Sometimes they leave, sometimes they don't. Sometimes you go in for a little while, sometimes it's a couple hours. You're changing it up and you're making your dog realize it doesn't matter the circumstance, the crate's all good. I can sit in here and be in the crate and it's all good. You might leave, you might not. Hey, everything's fine, okay? So think about that crate randomly sometimes. Now, um, housebreaking, guys. Let's start getting into housebreaking. Housebreaking is actually very simplistic and everybody overcomplicates the hell out of it. 
You've got to live by the mantra of K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. I cannot stress it enough, guys. Uh, You've got to keep it simplistic when it comes to housebreaking. Puppy pads, get rid of them. Pee pads, no need. Get rid of them. Excuse me. Few needs. And look, you know what? I haven't made this this comment in a while, so I'm going to say it right now. When it comes to my podcast, and for that matter, when it comes to dog training, there are always, always exceptions to every rule. Always. That exception might be less than 1% of the time, but nonetheless, if it's an exception, it's an exception. Puppy pads are one of those things where less than 1% of the time, there is a use for puppy pads. Okay. But my point is 99% or more of you do not need puppy pads, guys. You just don't. Get rid of them. Stop using them. You're making somebody rich who doesn't need to be. Um, (laughs) Stop it. Uh, Okay. So let's start there. Um, that's the first thing. So we need to keep it simplistic. And in doing so, we need some really basic tools. I need a crate. I need a leash. I need a collar and I need some treats. Excuse me. We also need some, uh, a, a good cleaner. <laughs> we also need some nature's miracle and some paper towels. <laughs> All right. Because accidents are going to happen. If you have a puppy, I'm telling you right now, they're going to. Now, some dogs only have four accident puppies, four accidents ever, and that's it. And you're good. And you're golden. That's awesome. Not every, not all dogs are created equal in that way. <laughs> okay. So um, when it starts with housebreaking, keep it simple. Okay. And housebreaking starts with control. You need to control your dog's input and output, intake and output, right? Know when you fed your dog. Know when they got water last. Know how much water they got last. Don't leave the water bowl down. We're going to get into all of this. Control. You have to control all these variables in order to housebreak your dog. Now, the first thing I'm going to recommend, guys, is make a log. You need to get a little notebook or something, um, especially if you have multiple people living in your house, multiple people taking this dog out. We need a log. We need to write down when your dog peed last, when your dog pooped last, what time, when they were fed, when they had... If you can be really detailed about it, man, you're going to housebreak your dog in no time. And the concept of what we're trying to do here, guys, we're trying to recognize patterns in their behavior and create patterns in their behavior for that matter. Um, Okay, so if you keep a log and you write all this down, you can just literally see it like you're just you're just going to look at it on paper and you'll be able to see the patterns there. Uh, And also that log will create consistency among your family and knowing, again, when the dog went out and making sure we're taking them out when they need to. Okay. Another thing is an egg timer. <laughs> get one of those little kitchen egg timers. Get a kitchen timer. Um, not a cell phone timer because every the timer needs to stay by the log. Okay, it needs to be in a central place because what you're going to do is when you need it, when your dog hasn't peed and maybe you need to set a timer, you're gonna, we'll, we'll get into this too, but egg timer is another thing we want to we wanna add on. Okay, so housebreaking your dog starts with consistency. That's why we have our log. Okay. Now, um, when we let our dogs out first thing in the morning from the crate, we're going to leash them up. We're going to take them directly outside on leash. This is so important guys. I don't care that you have a fenced backyard or a fenced area or it's okay. No leash up your puppy. Please, please, please leash up your puppy when you take them out because you need to be able to guide and direct them. You're going to take them outside. You can say, go pee, go poop, whatever word you want to put with it. And you're going to make sure that they're putting that nose to the ground. Now, one of my little secrets is I actually, and this is why they need to be leashed guys, guiding and directing. One of my little secrets is I'll actually create the figure eight motion using, using leash, guiding them into that little figure eight that they do, the little pacing back and forth. And I have found if you do this, if you, you almost, you almost put them into that P mode by making them do the figure, by making them physically go into it. Okay. So you're going to say, go pee, but you're not going to go, go pee, go pee, go pee. You're just going to go, Hey, go pee. Wait. Hey, come on, go pee. They get distracted. You can do that. And then wait. Don't keep saying it over and over and over and over and over and over and over because then it's just going to go in one ear and out the other. Okay. Then once they go pee, I usually, I don't like to say good, good, go pee because then they get excited and they stop being, you want to wait till they're done. (laughs) Once they're done, of course, make a big deal about it. Tell them good boy, good girl, give them affection, give them a treat right away. Important detail note right here, guys. That treat needs to be in your hand or in your pot, whatever treat pouch. It needs to be ready to go the second they're done peeing. It cannot wait until you get back inside. 
You only have about 10 seconds for your puppy to be able to make any correlation or connection to what just happened in the food. So by the time you get back inside, null and void, it's gone, okay? So (laughs) keep that in mind, treat needs to come right away. Now, let's say your dog doesn't pee when you take them out. What do you do? You bring them back inside, you keep them leashed up, and you keep them near you, guys. You do not let them roam the house freely because they will find the corner when you're not paying attention and pee, and you'll never even know it, okay? So puppy needs to remain tethered to your side. If you can't watch your puppy, guess what you're going to do? Crate training. Hey, all right, we're back to that. You can put your puppy in a crate if you can't keep an eye on him, okay? So... Then let's say we have them out on the leash though, and I'm watching them and I've got them leashed to me and the nose goes back to the ground. You immediately go back outside and repeat the process. Okay. The dog does not get off leash or at least go out of your sight, right? If you even let the leash dangle and let them have a little bit of freedom, so long as you can keep an eye on them. But if you see that nose go to the ground, boom, out, outside immediately. If they don't go again, same thing, guys, come back inside on leash or crate, keep an eye on them. Usually my rule of thumb is 20 to 30 minutes. So here's where the egg timer comes in, right? You're going to come back inside on that log where the log is. and You're going to hit that egg timer, 20, 30 minutes, hit start. Now you don't even have to think about it. All you got to do is either wait for the timer to go off or wait for the signs that your dog needs to go. Okay. So again, once your dog does pee, does poop, you're going to come back inside and you're going to write down what time they went and what they did. Okay. So very important. That's how it starts. Now, as far as the consistency side of it, guys, I don't want you feeding your dog at 6.30 in the morning every single day. I don't. Maybe when they're, look, maybe when they're 8 to 12 weeks old, we can have that level of consistency. But after a couple weeks of that strict consistency, I want you to start changing it up by 30 minutes, maybe an hour. In the end, what I like to create is a usually about a two-hour window that I feed my dogs in. That way, they don't come to expect it at 6 a.m. every day. However, starting with that consistency with a young puppy is very good and very important. So that way, you're, you're creating consistency in their output, right? If they eat at the same time every day, they're going to have to go about the same time every day. Okay, it makes it a little more predictable. But we want to wean off of that as they get older and as they start learning they're supposed to go outside. Okay, so really important to think about that. All right. So, you know, housebreaking is definitely starting with a ton of consistency and then slowly backing off. So again, guys, I just kind of want to run through the list of that housebreaking. Make sure I got it all there for you. So the first thing is anytime you take them out, they need to be leashed up and you're guiding and directing them, creating that figure eight motion to getting them to go. Once they do go to the bathroom, you're going to praise it with food, with affection right there. The second they're done going, don't wait till you go back inside. Okay. If your dog doesn't go, you bring them back in, you keep them leashed up or put them in the crate. Okay. Uh, If 20 to 30 minutes go by and you haven't seen any signs that they need to go, you take them back out and try again. Rinse and repeat this process until they go. Okay. Your dog should not be given freedom, should not be completely let off leash and unsupervised until they go, especially if you know that they need to go. If you can't keep an eye on your dog for a couple minutes, put them in their crate, close the crate and then come back and deal with it again. Again, rinse and repeat that process, okay? But they really want to start right there. Now, we do want to create a poop and pee log, (laughs) right? Make sure you're creating a nice log that everybody's filling out so we know when our dog is eating, when our dogs are drinking, and peeing and pooping. We're writing down the time and what they did so we can see the patterns and help to create some consistency within your household, all right? As they get older, the consistency can be a little less strict, right? We don't have to be feeding them at the exact same time every day, peeing and pooping at the exact same time every day, because then they will come to expect that. On the days you want to sleep in, maybe you don't want that. So become a little bit more lax and sort of create a two-hour window is what I prefer, all right? So really important there. Um, Really, guys, it's just about consistency at the end of the day. And one one other important note that I didn't make with the housebreaking, if your dog does have an accident, if you catch them in the act, do not scold them. Do not punish them, guys. It's not going to help. Your dog's just going to end up wanting to avoid you, and they're just going to hide the pooping and peeing from you. So if you catch your dog in the act, the best thing you can do is lift them up right away and get them outside as fast as possible. Try to get them to go outside and then reward it. Okay. I know it's not ideal. It's not what you want to hear, uh, <laughs> but it's what you got to do. And then of course the afterward, uh, after part, when you clean it up, 
make sure you're using a good quality cleaner that is actually designed to break down the smell and composition of the urine uh, so dogs don't want to smell it and continue marking there. Nature's Miracle, that is my preferred go-to cleaner when it comes to cleaning up pet messes. And believe me, I know a thing or two about it. <laughs> okay, we have a lot of puppies come through this house and they are going to have accidents at some point. It is inevitable always. Okay, but if you start with that consistency, you always reward it, you're going to be in a good place. But but we have to start with crating, guys. We have to start with crating. Let's do that little recap on the crating. Don't forget, crating is a must. It's going to help you with separation anxiety. It's going to keep your dog safe. And then the practical uses. Oh my goodness, I didn't even talk about one of the practical uses. One of them, of course, is just, hey, if you need five minutes and you can't keep an eye on your puppy, boom, crate. Uh, but down the road, I've talked about this before. If God forbid your dog ever has to have surgery or you're in a hurricane prone area like myself and maybe one day you need to evacuate, your dog needs to know how to be crated. Whether you have to stay in a hotel, go to a shelter, or after surgery, you need to keep your dog off his feet. The crate is going to be an ideal tool for this. And if you haven't properly introduced that crate uh, well before these things come up, guys, it's going to be a hard transition. So I cannot stress it enough. Practical uses for the crate are also wonderful like that. And of course, crating is going to help with housebreaking. Don't forget you want a crate that's just big enough for your dog to stand up comfortably, turn around in place, and lie back down. Plastic versus metal, hey, that's kind of up to you. Bedding, yes or no, really depends. Really depends on if your dog is going to eat the bedding, chew the bedding, do anything like that, or maybe make a mess in the bedding. So that's more up to the individual puppy. It can be done correctly. I do want to make the crate a comfortable and happy place, but we need to be mindful. Speaking of mindful, that brings us to toys. Make sure you're being mindful of what toys you're going to leave in the crate with your dog. If you know your dog is a chewer, big time eater, know those habits before you leave those toys in your crate, okay? Food and water, not necessary in the crate, guys. You don't need those, I promise you. Make sure your dog is getting enough water, enough food beforehand, and it shouldn't be an issue, so you don't need to leave that in the crate. How long can your dog be in the crate? Depends on their age, depends on their size. But in reality, guys, by about 12 to 16 weeks, there is no reason your dog cannot spend eight hours in the crate, okay? Overnight, right? Uh, where do we put the crate? I prefer it in the bedroom. I like to do everything as a pack. It allows you to easily correct and redirect behavior if that's necessary, but you can make it work in other parts of the home as well. I prefer not to use a crate as a form of punishment. Um, I prefer to really only use it as a place that's desirable for your puppy, but you can use it as a form of management of making sure your puppy's safe. If you just can't keep an eye on them, please feel free to use that crate. No problems there. Don't forget to also crate randomly when you're home. Don't just crate at night. Don't just crate when you're leaving. Put your puppy in the crate for 20 minutes and do some chores around the house or maybe just sit and watch TV. Um, we want our puppies to understand that it doesn't matter. Sometimes I'm going to leave. Sometimes I'm not. Sometimes you're in your crate. Sometimes It doesn't really matter and it makes your puppy feel more comfortable by creating that kind of randomness to it. Um, so, don't forget also, guys, uh, one thing I hadn't mentioned about the crate, one more thing. Don't forget to let your puppies in and out of the crate slowly, comfortably, and calmly. If your puppy's acting really crazy and really riled up, the last thing I want to do is let them out of the crate because then I'm just reinforcing that overexcited, crazy behavior. If you get home and your puppy's acting crazy in the crate, just ignore them. Just ignore them. Pretend like they're not even there. I promise. It may take 20 minutes, but I promise you, they'll end up relaxing. And once they do relax, then you can let them out. Now slowly make your way over to the crate. Take your time, because they might start to lose it once they realize, oh my gosh, you're coming to let me out. Take your time letting them out, guys. Uh, but make sure they're going in and out of the crate nice and calmly as well. It's kind of important, okay? Uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. You know, there really is a lot to crate training and housebreaking. That's why this ended up kind of becoming a long segment because I wanted to make sure that I hit all the details. Uh, the detail, you know, it's all in the details. It really is. And there's a lot of important details to these things. But crating and housebreaking, guys, to me, by far, the most important aspect when it comes to training and working with your puppies. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? We can help. At The Nature of Training, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Offering a wide variety of services such as in-home training, doggy and puppy boot camps, doggy day camps, boarding, and now offering virtual training as well. 
For more information, check out our website, www.thenatureoftraining.com, or you can find us on Facebook or Instagram at David Paws. Located in beautiful Palm City, Florida, serving all of the Treasure Coast and North Palm Beach County. The Nature of Training, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a dog cast, it's dog breeding. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about dog breeding today, some few different aspects of it. And I think the first thing we really have to discuss is dog breeding. Is it is it right or wrong? You know? There are people out there who are adamant dog breeding is wrong. There's people out there that are adamant dog breeding is correct. And my answer is this: they're both right. <laughs> they're both right, guys. They are. I can see both sides of the coin here, both sides of the aisle, because quite frankly, they both have merit. Look, I, I have uh, rescue dogs of my own. Obviously, if you've listened, you know this. I've had rescue dogs in the past. I am a big advocate of rescuing dogs. How can I not be? I want everyone to go out there and rescue a dog. Absolutely. But I'm not anti-breeder by any means. No, I'm not. I'm not anti-breeding. I'm not anti-breeder. I'm anti-overbreeding and I'm anti-irresponsible breeding. And unfortunately, here in the States, we have a lot of that, you know, in the U.S., especially in Florida. My God, Whew, boy, do we have some some breeding issues in Florida and a lot of backyard breeders. And unfortunately, dog fighting down in South Florida, especially guys, it's it stinks. It's just crappy. Um, so, you know, I get why people say we need to stop breeding dogs. And, and, and then there's the health side. of Oh, my goodness. So we can go down a lot of different roads here. And again, to me, I personally, I agree with both sides, okay? Let's talk about it real quick. Purebred dogs, if you think about it, purebred dogs, at the end of the day, they're, they're the whole reason a lot of these purebred dogs have health issues, the whole reason purebred dogs are, 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 lack of a better way to say it, screwed up, is because of us. Especially during the 1800s, Victorian era, you know, we really went crazy with dog breeding, Um we 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 ended up interbreeding a lot of these dogs and and we health was not necessarily the concern but the the traits the looks the aesthetics of the dog that's what took priority and so therefore there was a lot of irresponsible breeding and we created a lot of issues and and health issues health concerns cancer things like that uh even hip dysplasia and stuff like that guys if we had bred these dogs more responsibly we easily could have bred out hip had had we been more we could bred out a lot of these uh, issues that dogs have, you know? Now, with that said, responsible breeding, responsible breeders can actually do awesome stuff. You know, recently we've had a couple um, of the dogs on the Breeds of the Breeds of the Week, Breed of the Week, excuse me, featured. And a couple of these dogs, as I've discussed, they actually have minimal health issues all because of responsible breeding. Because of breeders, the dog is actually healthier. Now, again, that's selective breeding, that's careful breeding, that's keeping logs and records and understanding how to manipulate it in a way that's going to be healthier and create better lines and better genetics. But what does that take? That takes being responsible, and not everybody is, right? So at the end of the day, I get it. I, I'm going to just repeat it again. I see merits on both sides of the aisle. Now, shelters are at an all-time you know high with adoptions, as we talked about. At the same time, they're still full, guys. They're still full of dogs because that's how many dogs need 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 homes, you know. So, should we really be breeding like this? No, we are. We I, we, I agree. We're overbreeding. There are too many irresponsible breeders, backyard breeders. It needs to stop. Look, I'm not trying to. You know what? Forget it. I am trying to offend somebody, I guess. I mean, it's not like I'm purposefully trying to offend anybody here, but I'm trying to be honest. And the reality is, if you're out there and you go, oh, I love my dog. It's so cute. Let's breed it. No, stop. <laughs> if you're in the U.S., and I'm, I'm particularly talking about in the U.S., because and we're, we're going to talk about this something more in a second. Uh, we're going to get to this in just a moment. But if you're in the United States, guys, I'm sorry. You don't need to be breeding dogs just because. The only reason you need to be breeding dogs is because you're knowledgeable, responsible, and you understand what it takes and you're trying to create a better line, better genetics, a better dog, give, make healthier dogs. Okay. Really, that's why you should be breeding. And there are people out there doing that and I applaud them for it. I applaud responsible breeders. I have no problem with that. Okay. But it's a fine line. It's a fine line and that's why it's tough. Look, anytime you bring animals and money together, guys, 
it becomes a dangerous line to ride because at the end of the day, the bottom line becomes important, but the most important thing is the animal's welfare. That doesn't always take priority, does it? Um, stinks, stinks. Uh, but that's not what we're going to get into today. So, so I just kind of want to make it clear that is breeding right or wrong? Personally, I don't think there's a black and white answer to it. I think responsible breeding is, is good. I think backyard breeders and people breeding just because is wrong. I do. Straight up. Okay. So there's that. So we're going to, we're going to just leave that at that and move on. <laughs> but what kind of started this episode today was actually a listener question. And this was actually kind of fascinating because this listener question led me to, you know, I'll read the question to you here in just a second. We'll get to this. I'm going to run through it. But what was interesting to me is the fact that there's actually a necessity for breeding in this person's particular case. Yeah, there really is. And, and I, you know, I don't, I don't see a problem with it. And so hear, hear, hear me out on this and hear this question. I love it because I think this is a great topic and a great, um, it's a great example of when breeding can be necessary. So let's, let's get into it. So, uh, first I'm going to, I'm not going to try to pronounce your name and I do apologize for that, but I don't want to butcher it and I don't think I'll be able to pronounce it correctly. So I just want to say that I do see that you are from, uh, Selfoss, Iceland, all the way from Iceland, guys. How cool is that? I love it. How freezing is that? Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, I need, I need a drum and need a kick drum for my wonderful dad jokes. All right. So <laughs> let me just read this kind of, I'll try to summarize it in a little bit. Here we go. All right, all right. Hi, David, and greetings from a very cold Iceland. I have a question or maybe an idea for a segment about breeding a mixed dog. Wouldn't you know it? Her question turned into a segment. How cool is that? Don't forget, guys, send me your questions. Uh, you can either email me, questions at speakingdogcast.com, or just send one on social media. Hey, that's what she did. So here we are. Okay, so she says, I have a three-year-old girl named Hecla. She's a mix of an Icelandic sheepdog with a hint of border collie. Now, she's a great dog with no problems like reactivity or aggression, anxiety. She's no obsession or possessive issues. Great temperament. She's very good with people and other dogs and also has such a fun personality. Now, I'm thinking about getting another dog, and I really want Hecla to have puppies and then keep one of the puppies. I found a male purebred Icelandic sheepdog that has a great temperament as well. I don't want her to just breed with any dog because I started obedience training in uh, obedience rally with Hecla about a year and a half ago, and I plan on continuing that with the puppy, so I want to know what I'm working with. I get that. Um, she says, what are the pros and cons of having a puppy growing up with its mother? Could it be bad for the mother to always have their puppies around? Or could Hecla's personality change after she has the puppies? Tell me everything you know. I have thought about this for a long time, and I'm not rushing into anything. Hecla's welfare will always come first. Thank you so much for your podcast. I listen every week. And then she signed it and said Hecla as well. But there's a P.S. P.S. We don't have stray dogs or shelters in Iceland. There are actually long waiting lists for puppies and dogs. So finding the best home for the other puppies would not be a problem. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, come on, that's so that interesting. I had no idea. There's no stray dogs and no shelters in Iceland. How about that, guys? So here, right here, is a necessity for responsible breeding, right? I mean, come on. I, if I lived in Iceland, I would want a dog. I, mean, I don't care where I live on this planet. I would want a dog. <laughs> I feel your pain. Uh, I would want more. I, mean, I have four dogs, you know, so I get it. I get it. And you're thinking about getting a second dog. So this is an interesting question, right? Because it shows the need. There is a need for responsible breeding. Now, I think there's a need no matter what. Because, again, responsible breeding, we get rid of health issues. Well, let's not go down that road. But I just want to say thank you again for this question. This is awesome. Um, I, just, I, just, I really found that fascinating that there's no stray dogs in Iceland. It's cool. Um, so let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Pros and cons of keeping a puppy with its mother. Look, I, you'll read a lot of different things about that. I mean, you will read vast different ends of the spectrum on opinion on this. Um, you know, you'll read things that say you can do it, but you really shouldn't have a female puppy with its mother. You should only keep a male. I've seen that one because the females will fight. I mean, really? Like, seriously? Um, I think that was more of a behavioral training thing in that person's experience. And that's why they're saying that, uh, because I just, come on, really? that seems like a pretty bold statement to say that a mother's always going to fight with its daughter. Like, <laughs> well, is it, is it moms with teenage girls out there? <laughs> uh, no, but come on, you, you get what I'm saying here. I think that was probably more behavioral when you read that. So 
Can it be done successfully? I think it absolutely can. Um, now, look, you you do read people that are adamant about that. So, look, you really want to be safe? I go, oh, get a male puppy? I don't know. No, I'm, I think it could be done either way. It doesn't matter. So could it be bad for the mother to have the puppy around? No, no, it can't. It can be done successfully. What you have to think about, though, is from a dog's standpoint, you know, eventually puppies grow up. And puppies leave the nest, leave the den, <laughs> leave the nest. That's what we do, uh, right? We grow up, we leave the nest, we leave mom and dad home. And puppies, it's no different. So yeah, at some point, your puppy is no longer a puppy. And while the while, while Hecla will, would always recognize through scent and things like that, she would always recognize her puppies. Um, that's not to say that, you know, it's always going to be a puppy and that relationship's always going to stay that way. You get what I'm saying? So once your puppy grows up, they can just be buds at the end of the day. They can just be two adult dogs. They'll still always probably be that little bond and little, you know, but it's not going to be like it's detrimental. Okay. So that's the first thing I want to say. But when you do read about breeding and keeping puppies with their mothers, you're going to read a lot of, a lot of things that say, you know, again, like I said, opposite into the spectrum for information. So to me, what it really comes down to is behavior and training. It's what you as the owner allow and don't allow. Now, it sounds to me like you already know this, considering it sounds like you have a very well-adjusted dog. It sounds like Heckla is very well-adjusted and is a good girl. So if you have that good foundation, then keep doing the same type of stuff you did with her with your new puppies, even at a young age, keeping that structure in place, and you should have a lot less to worry about. Now, is that going to guarantee they're going to be best friends? Not necessarily. So here's what I also recommend. As the puppies get older, right, we start hitting about eight weeks, and that's when the personalities, individualness of, of, of the dog starts kind of showing itself a bit, eight to 12 weeks especially, right? When you start hitting that point, you know, you need to start making a judgment call. I mean, this is the problem, you know, is eight, eight weeks is when we can start separating a dog from the mom. So people might start calling for these puppies at eight weeks. Obviously, you get to decide at what point you want to let them go. What I'm saying here is I, if you can wait a little bit longer, <laughs> not too long, but a little bit longer so you can keep an eye on these puppies, see their personalities develop, see how they interact with Hecla, see how Hecla interacts with them. That can help determine which puppy is going to be the best fit. Right. Because, you know, if your, if your dog has multiple puppies, there's no guarantee that as adults, they're all going to get along like best friends just because they're her puppies. They're still going to be individuals at the end of the day. And so there's no guarantee with that. All right. So if you can observe their behavior and see if there's any puppy that particularly sticks out to Hecla, that can help set you up for success. What I will say is stay away from your heart, guys. Um, you know, don't don't go after the puppy you immediately want make sure it's going to be the right fit. Also know Hecla's personality. If Hecla's more laid back and chill, then hey, maybe we could bring a dog that has a little more feistiness to them or a little more personality, a little more controlling behaviors, if you will, that then could be managed. But if Hecla's very controlling and then we have a controlling puppy, that's not going to necessarily set yourself up for the most success. Maybe it can work, maybe, but I can tell you it may not be the most successful uh, pairing. So don't just think about the puppy that you want. Think about the puppy that's going to mesh better and best with Hecla. Okay. So could it, you know, let's talk about the fact that it could, could it change Hecla's personality? Does it change mom's personality having these puppies and then having a puppy stick around? It really shouldn't. It might temporarily, right? Obviously Hecla knows instinct kicks in. And she, she knows that she's got to be protective over them and she might treat them a certain way with disciplining them. And that stuff should disappear over time. Because again, like I said, at the end of the day, the puppies are going to grow up and be adults at some point. And Hecla understands, and every dog understands, the difference in scent between an adult and a puppy, right? An adult dog and a puppy dog, okay? Now, I will say also, if... Um, if you are going to get these, you know, if you're going to have this new puppy, it might be easier. It might be easier to spay or neuter your new puppy too. Okay. A little side note on that. That might help Hecla feel a little more comfortable too, and that she needs to be less competitive. If you're not planning on breeding Hecla again after this, I would also highly recommend getting her spayed after you're, after you're done. Okay. 
um, after all is done. <laughs> all right. Get them both spayed and neutered if you can in the end, and that can help as well. It's not to say that you can't have two, you know, intact dogs together. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you'll set yourself up for better success if at least one of them is spayed and neutered, if not both of them. And then, of course, you know, if you're not breeding your dog in the end, spaying and neutering from a health standpoint is also going to be better for both dogs. Um, so keep that in mind as well. But could it change your personality overall in the end? No. And especially as long as you continue your training, your structure, and everything you implement with her, it shouldn't change much, okay? Maybe temporarily, like I said, but not in the long run, okay? So this can be done successfully. I think people put a lot more woo to it than, than they should. Like, oh, I don't know. There's can You can't put two females. You can't put a mom with their dog. Ooh. There's all these almost like old wives' tales when it comes to breeders, I'll be honest. Um, look, I had a, <laughs> a little side note. I had a breeder years ago. I can't, was that one of the, I think it was one of the golden doodles, uh, the end dog right now. And so all these breeders have these particular rules and, and there was this one breeder that said, you have to feed her cottage cheese every day at 3 PM. And then she gets a yogurt in the morning and you have to do this because it, for their skin and their, you have to, you can't not do it. Bup, bup, was adamant about it. Like, give me a break guys. Are you freaking kidding? Cottage cheese. When, when, when is any, when is any animal eating cottage cheese in the wild like it's this thing that's necessary for their health i mean <laughs> give me a break so some of these things there are some truths to them but i think at the end of the day these are behavioral issues that most likely existed well before the puppies came into the picture and if you have a mom, dog, or a dad, if you have a dog with behavioral issues, even if they're minor, they're only going to be amplified by bringing puppies into the picture then. And if you don't know how to recognize these things before they're a problem, and then you only see the problem after the fact, then how are you not supposed to make the connection of, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't put a mama dog with her daughter dog. I think most of these things are behavioral training issues. And so again, at the end of the day, if you act like a responsible owner and don't just breed a dog, but also breed the dog with standards for training and expectations for their behavior, I think that's what's going to set you up for the most success in, you know, keeping one of your puppies with the mama dog, right? So it's a lot of interesting stuff to think about today. And again, you know, just want to reiterate, I'm by no means anti-dog breeding. However, I am anti-irresponsible dog breeding. There's definitely a right and a wrong way to do everything in life, right? And with dog breeding, I applaud responsible dog breeding. I applaud it. Uh, and and look, if it's done correctly, then it's actually better for the dog and better for the lions and they create healthier dogs. With that said, in the U.S., there are a lot of dogs in shelters that need homes. So many dogs out there that need to be adopted. So please, please consider adoption first. Always go the adoption route if you can. Look, guys, again, you know, I talked about it earlier in the episode. If you have a particular breed that you like, and that's maybe a reason why you're thinking to not adopt, think again. There's plenty of purebred dogs sitting in shelters, and there are plenty of shelters that specialize in purebred dogs. So again, I, I implore you to check out your local rescue, local rescues and shelters first, but dog breeding can be done correctly. And in the case of my listener today, you know, in, in Iceland, there are no shelters. There are no rescue dogs. And so if you want a dog, you have to do it through responsible breeding. And as she even said, there's waiting lists for it, you know. So it's one of those things where breeding can be a good thing if it's done correctly and it's the right circumstances. Uh, so I do want to say thank you again for that question today that turned into a segment idea because I just love so many different aspects of it that were so fascinating. And we learned a little something about dogs in Iceland today, too. So kind of cool. Uh, so thanks, guys. Hey, keep the questions coming at me. You can email me questions at speak at podcast, find me on social media, shoot me a question there. Uh, hey, just comment on a post that works too. And, um, you know, I love it. I really do. I love, I love that. Um, I'm having some good influence all over the world and that's just so cool and so amazing. So thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for implementing this training and thank you for doing stuff correctly and getting out there and working with your dogs. I love it. That's why I do this. Uh, so thank you guys and Hey, keep it coming. Let's keep it going. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our Breed of the Week. 
This week's breed of the week is the Dogo Argentino. The Dogo Argentino is a member of the miscellaneous group, and they come in weighing from 80 to 100 pounds. Loyal, fearless, and muscular, the Dogo Argentino is a pack-hunting dog that is strong and was originally bred to take down big game. Now, they were also bred to be loyal and protective over their family. The Dogo is distinctively identifiable by its all-white coat, with allowing for a little black patch around the eye. They sometimes are confused with the American Pit Bull Terrier or the American Bulldog, but they are much larger built and taller. They do have a high prey drive and are a determined breed, so they don't make the best dog for the first-time dog owner. They do need a lot of exercise and are really not well-suited for apartment living. Now, they can excel at big game hunting, agility, police work, search and rescue, military work, and even as a service dog. They have few health issues, with one of the most common being deafness occurring in about 10% of the dogs, and kept in good health, the Dogo Argentino can live to be 9 to 15 years old. The origin of the breed can be traced back to Cordoba, the central region of the Republic of Argentina. They were originally created by Dr. Antonio Norris Martinez. He started creating the breed around 1928, and he crossbred several purebred dogs, uh, with the old Cordoba fighting dog being one of the most prevalent. Now, the dog was generally considered to be a fighting dog, but Dr. Martinez also bred loyalty and protectiveness into the dogo. Now, Dr. Martinez, one day, he decided to bring one of his dogos with him on a regular hunting trip. Now, the breed very quickly demonstrated their skills taking down large games such as pumas and wild boar. Now, they've proven themselves over time to be an avid hunter and loyal and wonderful companions, being a great protector over their owners. The breed arrived in the United States sometime in the 1970s and still remains a bit of an elusive dog today. And only two years ago, in 2020, the Dogo Argentino was admitted to the AKC. The answer to today's trivia question, what animal grows the most over its lifespan? It's the ocean sunfish. Yes, full size, the sunfish can grow to 10 feet long and 1,200 pounds, 60 million times the size it was when it was born, which would be about the size of typing the letter O on your computer screen. For live-born animals, the answer would be the red kangaroo. A 180-pound adult male would be the size of a bean, weighing less than a gram to start. Next on Speak a Dogcast, it's our listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Jackie from Dallas, Texas. Jackie says, my puppy is pooping in his crate. He's 12 weeks old and he'll hold it overnight in the crate. But if I crate him and leave the house, he poops within 10 minutes. I've taken everything out of the crate and the crate is small in the correct size, but he doesn't seem to care. He'll lay in it. I have to bathe him every time I get home and he's a cockapoo. So it's a mess to clean up. What can I do? Jackie, this is classic separation anxiety if I ever heard it. However, what I will say is first things first. First things first, you need to eliminate any uh, medical issues. Okay, I would definitely, I would take your dog into the vet, get him checked for worms, get him, just get him checked out, get his poop checked out, make sure everything's okay. Sometimes this can be biological, can be medical, and maybe he can't help it. Um, but being that he's holding it overnight, I'm leaning toward this is more behavioral, and this sounds like classic kind of separation anxiety to me within 10 minutes of you leaving, you know, this, this is most likely behavioral related. Not going to be an overnight solution. Um, look, a couple things you can do. The first thing is get your puppy tired. Okay. Go for a good big walk and he's a cockapoo, so it shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> shouldn't be too hard to get him tired. Um, I mean, yeah, they've got a lot of energy. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like you've got to go for a three hour walk to get this dog tired. Okay. Uh, but go for a good, good walk. Maybe get some good playtime in before you create them. If this means you have to wake up a little bit earlier, like, you know, maybe this is first thing in the morning and you need to leave for work. Tough toodles, hate to tell you. Uh, <laughs> it stinks, but you're going to have to wake up earlier. It's what you're going to have to do um, to get the energy out because that's the one thing you really want your dog to be exhausted. So that way, when you do leave, the last thing that he's thinking about is worrying about where you are. Okay. So exercise stimulation, that's where it has to start. Get it going, you know, and if you can get him really tired, I promise you it's going to go a long way. 
But the other thing is you need to be able to, you know, this goes back to housebreaking a little bit. You need to try to make sure he has pooped as much as he possibly can before you leave. So maybe you need to think about feeding him a little bit earlier uh, if you leave at a consistent, you know, and this is, I'm kind of speculating on when you're leaving here, um, but try to feed him earlier. That way he has more time to digest and maybe he'll poop twice as opposed to only once. You can get that extra poop out. So you're, you're leaving him on empty, right? We don't want to leave that, uh, leave your puppy with his gauge full and then he needs to go. And then we're also having anxiety. So, you know, we kind of have to tackle this from a couple angles. Number one, get rid of extra energy through walks and playtime. Okay. Really make sure you're getting that energy out. And number two, we have to tackle it from controlling the housebreaking side of it, really ensuring we can try to empty out their bladder, their stuff, every get, get them empty, uh, before you leave, before you crate them. And the other thing I will say, the other one thing I want, I want you to work on is, you know, I know you say he does okay overnight, I want you to try creating, well, two things here. First, it's kind of a two-step thing, one thing. Here. First thing I want you to do is try creating him when you're home for just, you know, 10 minutes, maybe maybe not even, maybe five. Uh, start start small, start minimal. Create him and put him in his crate and walk away and just keep doing stuff around the house and ignore him. See where that gets you. If he is fine and relaxed, take it up to 10, 20, 30 minutes. See if there's a threshold where he starts to lose it if you're home. If he does, then we can correct and redirect that. Uh, and I can go back to my other set, some of my other episodes and listen to that. Otherwise, we'll be here another 10 minutes with this one. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, but we got to redirect or correct that if he is wanting. And that, that can help you try to alleviate some of that separation anxiety and deal with it while you're there, as opposed to just walking out the door and he just gets anxious and there's no other information coming at him. Um, so you almost want to try to bring out the anxiety a little bit to be able to get it under control, if that makes any sense. Okay, that's the first thing I want you to do. The next thing is you're gonna fake leave, okay? You're gonna put him in it. Once you've practiced that first part of quite a few times and you're getting success and he's okay being in the crate with you there, then I want you to fake like you're leaving. You know, do your normal routine, put your shoes on, grab your keys, whatever your normal shtick is to get out the door, put him in his crate, do your thing, walk out the door. And if it takes him a few minutes before he poops, then I would only leave for a minute or two and then come back inside. Put your keys down. Don't let him out of the crate. Just ignore him and walk around and do your thing. Fake leave again. Okay. Rinse and repeat this process. Sometimes you're going to come back in and let him out of his crate right away. Sometimes you're going to uh, not, you know, change it up. So that way he doesn't know. One other quick note I actually want to make for you. I thought of one more quick thing. Don't make a big deal about him entering the crate and exiting the crate. You're going to be very matter of fact. When you get home, as long as he's calm, you can let him out of the crate. Okay, as long as he's calm, but just open the crate, leash him up and let him out. Don't be like, oh, it's so good to see you. Happy birthday. Don't make a big deal about it because that'll only make the separation anxiety worse. And same thing when you put him away. No, okay, go in your crate. Don't reason with him. Just put him in his crate. Go crate. Put him in. Take off the leash. Shut the door. Walk away. Don't make it a big deal that you come and go. It's only going to contribute to it. So try those couple things. See if that helps out. Next question. This comes from Vanessa from Orlando, Florida. Vanessa says, what dog do you recommend for a family that has a seven-year-old, a 10-year-old, and a 12-year-old? We would like a dog that has hair, not fur, but we're really not into the whole doodle craze. I will be honest, we don't mind going for walks with the dog, but we are not looking to do hour plus walks all the time and go for hikes and all that. <laughs> what are your thoughts? First of all, Vanessa, I actually, thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Um, I, I appreciate you being realistic about this. That's fantastic because that's only going to set yourself up and your dog up for success. So I applaud you. I really do. Um, there's nothing wrong with being honest about what your lifestyle is, what your needs are in a dog. Because if you get your needs met with a dog, then it's more likely you're going to meet your dog's needs as well. And then everybody's happy. So uh, so thank you for that. So what kind of dog? Look, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to go to my go-to dog. It really fits your criteria. I'm a little biased because I had one growing up. I would say a Shih Tzu actually sounds like a really good dog for your family. Shih Tzus sometimes get a bad rap as maybe like a grandma dog or, you know, maybe you know, they're, I've heard some people go, oh, they're mean or they're feisty. No, they're not. People let them be. Uh, they're confident. That's what I like about them. You get a little bit of big dog personality in a small dog size. And as long as you raise them correctly and you do, you know, pro as with any dog, proper training, proper structure, Shih Tzus make great little companions because they're awesome companion dogs. They love to be lap dogs. They love to snuggle with you. At the same time, they're very independent. They can do their own things. They're very playful. They're full of personality. They don't need really long walks. You know, really 30 minutes is going to do a good, good job. 
Maybe a little bit more when they're younger, sure, but they really don't need long walks. They do need some stimulation, nothing crazy. Uh, but again, you're looking at fur, you're not, or excuse me, you're looking at hair, not fur. The downside of a Shih Tzu is the upkeep of the of the coat, right? But, you know, look, anytime you go to a fur, or gosh, I keep saying that, anytime you go to a hair dog versus fur, you're most likely going to have more upkeep. That's just what it is because hair doesn't stop growing. So one way or the other, if you have a dog with hair, you're going to have to maintain it, cut it, whatever. Uh, Havanese might be, you know what, there's another dog that might be another great, great dog for you guys. Havanese. Um, again, I'm a little biased to the Shih Tzus. I just am. I grew up with one. I like them. I, I They're spunky. Havanese can be spunky too. But I think those are two great breeds that you should look into. Havanese and Shih Tzus, I think those both would make actually a great dog for your family. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. Hey, if you love what you're hearing and you haven't left us a five-star rating or review, stop what you're doing. Go ahead and do that right now. Find us on social media at Speak a Dogcast. Have a wonderful week. And don't forget, get out there and walk your dog.